0: You're in the right place if you're ready to cultivate the self-awareness to be the leader you were born to be. Let's go on this journey together. Welcome to Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt, and I have another amazing, amazing guest. And this one actually lives around the corner. We're 10 minutes from each other. I'm so blessed. And today I'm going to be speaking with Carolyn Swara, who is a certified dare to lead facilitator, as well as a trauma informed leadership consultant. She works with small, medium and large organizations across Canada and the United States on becoming more compassionate, human and empathetic places for members of staff. Carolyn uses the Enneagram personality system to help clients deepen self-awareness into their behavioral patterns. She has a master's degree in industrial and organizational psychology, and has studied resilience and workplace culture transformation. She has also developed her own transformational leadership development methodologies, which she breaks down in her second book, Evolve, the pathway to trauma-informed leadership. Welcome to the show, Carolyn.
1: Thank you. And yes, I think it might actually be seven minutes, Kristen. I don't know if it's actually 10 minutes. (laughs) I think you're right. I think it's actually probably I could almost
0: get there that fast walking like it is. We're very close to each other. We we're both close. in Burlington. Yeah. And, and before we even get in, I want to show anyone who's watching on video. This is Carolyn's new book, Evolve the Path to Trauma-Informed Leadership. I read it. I loved it. And for Thank everyone you. who is a regular listener, you're going to understand immediately why Carolyn is such a good fit for the show, because she's really speaking the language that I speak on the show when it comes to human to human and what that looks like, because there's a variety of different focuses when we start to think about human to human.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So Carolyn, as a starting point, I always like to give my guests an opportunity to share a little bit about their story and people who want to have a more in-depth read the book because you get to hear a lot of Carolyn's story. But you share with us whatever feels most apropos at this moment around your story and why you're so passionate about this work.
1: Yeah, you know, I think here's the best way I'll describe my story. From a young age, I was very, very invested in getting people to get along. Um, and you know, it showed up in sports. Um, I, I'm an only child. And so back in those days, we used this horrible word called tomboy. So I was your tomboy. And and I found that I could really bring people together to work well on teams. So it started out, you know, as the captain, I always played on boys' teams. In fact, I got in trouble at school for beating the boys up. But this notion of like building um Building a team environment has been with me from a young age. And so if we just want sort to of take that as a foundation of what kind of was in me and where I am now um, at this like half century mark of my life, it's really the same thing. Like How 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 do we get people to come together and be able to show up and bring their strengths, bring just the who they are and create a team dynamic where everybody can feel like they're being seen and heard and valued? That doesn't mean that we always have to be right and so all the stuff that's happened in between um, has, I think, made me uh, more aware, more um, able to be present for other people, and let them own their own journey in this pathway. Um, but at the end of the day, the passion is pretty much the same from beginning to end, because we're social beings, right? We're social. We're social um, in nature, and and we can't figure things out on our own which interestingly enough, I thought I could figure it out, like figure it all out as an only child. And now here I am realizing I can't, and I never really needed to. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that's beautiful. And you know, one of the things that I really appreciated in this second book is that you realize in the first book the work that you wanted to do and the cultures that you wanted to create and that you were so passionate about and continue to be passionate about, you realize that there was one part of the equation that was missing in order for it to be effectively implemented, which is the part that I connect with you so deeply around, which is ultimately whatever this work looks like, each one of us as an individual has to start off by going on our own inward journey and understand ourselves better and who we want to be in the world and, um, our strengths. And of course, all of these different blind spots that can be working against us from showing up as that person. And so what I love is that you start to approach it from that evolve perspective. It yeah. really starts there. And so tell me a little bit more around when you came to that realization, you know, you were doing the work with cultures and trying to really create these positive, impactful cultures and then making that kind of connecting that thread that you realize, OK, wait, before we can do that piece, we have to first go at the individual level. Tell me more about that.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So I'm going to give you a deeply personal answer. And, and to be honest, that was that was sort of the lightning strike moment where it's like, oh, my gosh. Um, I don't know if this is a PG broadcast or not, so I'll say, oh, my gosh. Um, and it it really was with my teenage sons and just, you know, through some really difficult times. Anybody who has teenagers know that that it's a hard time in life for everybody. And there was a particular moment um, with the boys where I realized. Am I the problem here or not even the problem? i am, must be contributing because i'm seeing a pattern and as somebody who lives really from emotion and the heart it 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 was um it was a moment of objectivity to say there's a pattern here and honestly that was the moment where it's like damn i got to look inside and and so i think the reason i share that is because i do believe that Until we have these moments of, aha, euphoria, insert whatever word you want, suffering, the motivation to make that change and go inward isn't there. And it's gonna look different for everybody. So that's what happened personally. Professionally, what was happening is a lot of client interactions where they wanted a culture to be a certain way. And when you said, well, this is what, what we're going to need to get there. Oh, we don't have that time. We don't have that money. Can you just do this instead? So I was getting to a point from a business perspective where I was like, I don't really do this for the money. I mean, it, it was becoming a transactional sort of interaction. And that wasn't, like hitting me like I really want a transformational and so I'm not I'm not like everyone's going to have their own thing that they want and I guess after doing it for a few years I'm like this isn't really hitting me the way I wanted to so those were the two things that really made me realize we say we want these cultures but damn it's hard just like raising kids is hard but we say we want kids and then we're in it we're like holy it's a little bit harder than we thought
0: I didn't really know what I signed up for with this whole kid for this many years for the rest of my life. It's it's like I I thought it was going to look like this, and then there's this whole bunch of other stuff that comes along with it. And you know, one of the things that you talk about that I think is really important is, I think sometimes when I I personally work with a lot of linear thinkers, so very Mm -hmm. very bright technical thinkers that might be in healthcare or tech or engineers. And on, on one hand, I would say, you know, a lot of them didn't necessarily in school get this education around um, being people leaders and things like that. But I actually take it to another level, which is what you talk about in the book. And we sometimes talk around um, how to be able to connect with people, both head and heart. Yep. But I also bring in the other dimension, which you also do is it's not just head and heart. It's also your body. And yep. So for so many of my linear thinkers that we'll be talking about something and I'll say, well, I really, I hear you in your head and I want you to actually like, let's talk through this and let's just pause for a second and just even notice as you're talking about this, where are you experiencing this in your body? And 99.9% of the time (laughs) they said they might say, I don't know what you mean. Like, what do you mean by that? Like, And so to start even educating them about this level of intelligence, which is, so powerful in our yep. in our bodies, and then again, of course, head and heart, and it's not at the expense of one or the other. Right, all of them. We want them working together. I think it'd be really helpful if you share a little bit more around these different uh, centers of intelligence and why they're all so valuable, and then mm-hmm. also what we can sometimes do in terms of over functioning in one area.
1: Yeah, yeah. I love the fact that you you are coaching from that place. Um, I was one of those people like body center. What are you talking about? Like my mind is doing all the work and we won't get into all the reasons why we've disconnected from our body. That's going to differ for everybody, but it's pretty safe to say that we live in a culture that really, really has rewarded and um, valued our, this is amazing, and our brain is amazing. And, and yes, there's more conversation about emotional intelligence and the importance of that. And that's great for me. And I'll come back to that experience, that lightning bolt moment. I was, I had no idea what was going on in my body because for so many years I just learned to push, 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 push. So let me circle back. So um it was at that moment where I was like, I have to learn more about myself. And and so the school of thought that I really dug into was it was through CP um, Enneagram Academy, Chestnut Pious Enneagram Academy. So this notion of of centers of intelligence just made a ton of sense to me. And and the idea here is is that we all have access to these three centers of intelligence. So just because I'm a heart-based person doesn't mean that I can't think. It actually doesn't mean that I feel any more or any less than other people either. Um, And and so that, that was really helpful. So we have all of these centers of intelligence the piece that I found incredibly helpful for myself and then took it into my work was understanding that I have a dominant, we all have a dominant center of intelligence. And what that means is we are going to perceive the world through a specific lens. And if we're coming from our heart or if, if we're of a dominant heart center, it means that we perceive the world through feelings and relationships Again, it doesn't mean that if you don't have a dominant heart center, that you don't have feelings, and you don't have relationships. It's just kind of like the first line, the first line of defense. That's actually not the right word. It's sort of that first lens that you see it through. And we don't even know that because it's so ingrained in how we see the world. Um, so, you know, from a heart base, that's sort of the first layer. When you have a, a head-based um, dominant uh, intelligence center of intelligence, You know, you see the world through objectivity, through facts, through data. Um, You like to see the big picture. Um, You like to have those connections. I shouldn't even say like to have. Those are sort of your first layer, like your first layer of perception. And then your body center, your body center is very instinctual in nature. And people with dominant body centers, it's kind of like their body talks to them which for me was like wow that's really cool cuz i didn't even know this this puppy was attached and and so within a dominant body center there's a very strong drive for like justice and what is right and just knowing that what the right thing is to do so with body center dominant you'll see like a lot of jumping into action right away um, for head dominance, there's going to be more um, sort of pause to contemplate and connect. And then heart centers get, you know, passionate, emotional, energetic. Um, and that was just, again, high level, but that, that's sort of a sense of those three centers.
0: Yeah, I think it's so important just for anybody listening to just have a bit more awareness around that happening and even giving some thought around that. And you can even do some research if you go online and read about some of this in more detail, either in Carolyn's book or even around the Enneagram. Um, But it starts to you probably will start to notice as you read through that, what is more the dominant one for you? And then also recognizing, you know, I start to see those patterns, too. Of course, my dominant is heart and my husband's dominant is logic in the head and maybe sense why i'm sometimes saying things from this perspective and not being able to see how he's seeing it from that perspective so i just think it creates a lot more awareness and um and it it gives us an opportunity to be to be leveraging parts of ourselves that we're not necessarily leveraging that can be really really
1: powerful so i'm gonna say kristen I wouldn't um I would not say that you're heart centered. I would say you're incredibly balanced and you use mm-hmm. the centers at the appropriate time. Yes. And and this to me was the eye opener for um for leadership because, you know, I had 17 years in a big corporate organization and I was great with people. I knew that. Again, if we go back to, you know, the beginning of my story, I always like to be the the captain, the coach, you know, always socializing. Um and so I got so ingrained at how I thought the right way to lead was and that it was based around relationships. And it it actually became a, like a distraction for me because the people I worked with and the higher ups couldn't see that I was so strategic. In fact, I was told this often until people worked with me. I'll never forget, was a VP. Wow, everybody's wrong about you, Carolyn. What do you mean? You really are strategic. I'm like, what? Oh, well, people don't really see you as strategic until they work with you. So that was, you know, again, now that I have this, this insight and, and I know the system, um, I'm like, Oh, cause that darn heart center, I, I had just sort of doubled down on it because I didn't, I was stuck. I mean, I could, we can come back to other contents in the book, but I was trying to survive the only way that I knew how, and, and, and I have a great head center. We all have we all have these three centers. And so to circle back, you are incredibly balanced in my experience. You know, I know that we're friends in my experience with you, having traveled to Nashville and losing luggage with you as well. Um, you use your heart in beautiful ways and you also use your head in beautiful ways as well. Like, you know, when I think of conversations about running our own businesses. And it's been something I've really admired your your balance through all three of those centers. Mm,
0: I appreciate that. And I'm receiving that. Thank you yep. for reflecting that back. Um, it's, you know, it's beautiful. I think that uh, it's powerful work. And I think the more that we start to even reflect and ask ourselves some of these questions can be really, really enlightening. Yep. And, you know, one of the things I want to talk about in, in your book is trauma, trauma informed. Mm. And I just want to put it out there because I know some people hear the word trauma. And for some, it can feel very triggering for me, actually. And I think a lot of the work that I do, I'm actually so much more aware of trauma and a spectrum of trauma and little T and big T and an awareness that we've all had little T I'm now recognizing that there has been big T's, several big T's along the journey, some actually more recent than others, Uh, but really recognizing how really important it is to have that lens and understanding when you're working with a bunch of humans. And I want to be conscious for people listening. I know some people will hear that word and feel. Some who are people who are very empathetic and naturally gravitate towards the humans. They'll hear that and say, oh, my gosh, I need to start to be able to to be the therapist and know how to support them and be asking questions, which you very eloquently explain in your book is not the case. Right. Others will say. That's we're in a workplace. This isn't, you know, this isn't about emotions and therapy, like go outside of work to handle that stuff, Yeah. which again, other side of the spectrum. And then of course, there's a whole bunch of middle in between. Yep. I would love for you to first help to educate our audience when you're talking about trauma informed leader leadership within workplaces. What do you mean by that?
1: Yeah. So yes, I said it often in the book in fact, as I'm I'm recording the audio right now and I so I'm reading again I'm like, man, I say this a lot. <laughs> I think I say it like every chapter. Um, so yeah let's start off by saying this when we talk about being trauma informed it's really it's really about being mindful of your own actions you how you're showing up and creating a space for others to be able to show up so that they feel seen and heard and valued. Now, what's going on underneath, like in our nervous systems is like our nervous systems are talking to each other under, the, under this love line of consciousness. And so really to make it super simple, our nervous systems are saying, hey, that person Seems okay. I'm not really too threatened, and and others might be like, watch out, and others can be like, whoa, and and it's it's this recognition that our nervous system is sitting and in operating um, in a certain way. And I, I don't want to get all technical about it, but what I what I wanted to bring into the conversation into the corporate world because the notion of trauma informed care has been around for a long time. Uh, a few decades um, and I'm learning about the history of trauma informed actually but so I don't want to speak out of line because I'm just learning it but it's been around and then and, and again it's recognizing and being cognizant that trauma does exist for people so let's circle back and what does this word mean in really simple terms and I'll take the word uh, the work of Gabor Dr Gabor Matei, is it's an emotional wound. It's our response to something that was too much for us to be able to handle. So trauma is not the event. It's our response to the event. And when you think of everything that happens to us in life, there's going to be a lot of things that seem like too much or um, yeah, I'll just say too much. Now, what is too much for you? is gonna be different for, for somebody else. And so what I try to do in the book is is one, let's just get straight on what this word means because there's been a lot of research um, that has progressed our knowledge in this space. So trauma, we're, we're not going to traumatize people by saying the word trauma, unless we're using it in an unsafe way. So Kristen, you have to tell me everything that's wrong with you and tell me, and you have to share all your trauma, like, Whoa, Whoa, like, no, no, no. That like, we would never, you would never do that. Being trauma informed is recognizing that, uh, how to create safe space, um, and, and or safe enough space for people to be able to show up and, and to recognize that we're all going to be trying to process certain things. And when we do have the more trauma we have in our life, um, the more protected we are with our behaviors and these protective behaviors will show up unconsciously.
0: Absolutely. And I think you did a great job in the book too, of explaining the different types of trauma, because there's a trauma through the global pandemic that we all experience and then they're situational. So can you talk through the different yeah. types of trauma?
1: Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. Cause I know when I was doing my research, uh, There's a whole lot of clinical ways to look at trauma. And and I wanted to have a very clear line. I'm not a therapist and I didn't want this book to be a therapy book and dig into any of that. I wanted to make it um, accessible and understandable. And so I came across this resource and they talked about trauma in from three different perspectives, collective racialized and situational. And that was another lightning bolt moment, <laughs> uh, to be honest, because that's the moment where I realized, damn, this thing that I've been talking about, about having a hard, you know, some hard situations, that's trauma. And, and it also helped me put, um, you know, the, the, the racialized injustice that we're experiencing into a better perspective as well. So, You know it is a way of classifying trauma or or understanding trauma um it's not therapeutic in nature so i just wanted to clarify that collective trauma like really simply is um is when you are impacted by something collective in nature that has happened into a community a country um a a whole a whole world hello pandemic which, which you know, it was the first time in, in our history um, because we weren't around for the the flu pandemic in the early 1900s. At least I was, and I don't think you were either. You look you look fabulous if, if you were. <laughs> um, and and so it happened to all of us. Now the impact is obviously going to be different, um, but the fact is is it happened to all of us. It severely changed how we were showing up. You know, you can have collective trauma, like um, earthquakes, or, or, or natural disasters. And so, you know, when that happens on the other side of the world, it's like, oh, wow, yeah, it's, again, it's going to impact us differently. You then have um, uh, situational trauma, which is, is, is just kind of as the name explains, like, there's going to be different situations that we all all have. And this is where you could, you could bring in, um, you know, that there will be all sorts of different uh, unfortunate types of abuse. Um, There could be car accidents. There could be um, losing a parent. Um, So all sorts of like situational things. And then the third type is racialized trauma and, and understanding that if you are of an identity, a racial identity that is not white, there is going to be a, a certain level of emotional wounding and um, and depth that is is different than being white and you and I as white women you know we've been on a path to to learn more and understand that and that moment seeing that classification of those three types of trauma really helped me see um, a lot of things in, in with more clarity
0: yeah. And I think it's um, I really like the distinction you made to you make in the book. And, and just as we are talking right now, I think really recognizing how important empathy and compassion is, because even when you look like so- at something like the pandemic and I experienced this with some of the companies when they were doing return to work and policies or whatever that may look like. Um, one person in the way it impacted them and somebody else can be very different, right? One person might be feeling like even our ability to regulate our nervous systems and be able to take care of ourselves and be able, some of us have done work around somatic and we're releasing stuff that's in our body. And many people have not. And so really recognizing there's a whole spectrum there. And I think sometimes even when we say, well, like, oh, just be resilient or just be that we have to also recognize each individual and the resources that they currently have and what they have in their toolkit doesn't look the same. And I think I really like that. And we're going to talk about this a bit more too. I appreciated you sharing a lot of different practices yeah. that people can start to do to be able to regulate their nervous systems. But before we go there, let's talk a little bit around, and this is something I talk a lot about in both my the self-awareness piece, but also emotional intelligence. I talk yep. a lot about self-regulation. Not as much about, I do talk somewhat about the co-regulation as well. I think sometimes I'm talking about it without using the word co-regulation. Yeah, right? yep. <laughs> we're doing that with others. Um, but this is a huge part of leadership and, and yep. what happens when we're gonna create more effective environments where each leader is doing their own individual work, which then contributes to the whole and those teams working together more effectively. Why is self-awareness, uh, self-regulation and co-regulation, why are those so important?
1: Yeah. Well, those are the three foundations that I talk about, like to be an evolved leader. Um, So let's start with self-awareness. And I know we're just going to be building on all of the, you know, your previous guests and all the work that you've done with the people who listen to your show. At the end of the day, how here's how I like to describe it. Our intention is always going to be different than our desired impact. And that's just a fact of human nature. And so how far of a gap are you willing to tolerate? And and, and that's honestly as simple as it is. And, and that took a bit of self-awareness for me to accept that because it might not be my intention to sound um, irrational or to not provide you with enough facts. In my head, I think I'm doing the right thing. So we'll come back to centers of awareness, right? When you are so stuck in your center of awareness, you can't really even understand or, or, or have the compassion or the the belief that somebody else is experiencing you differently because you just want to protect, you want to protect what's been built. So that's the first one is there's always going to be a difference between an intent and impact. And then the more we'll go into self-regulation, the more you're able to manage through that emotion and that reaction to like, damn uh, that's not what I meant. And instead of putting it on the other person saying it's all your fault. You got to figure that out. The self-regulation piece to me is okay, well, what's my emotional response to that and let's work through it and with it versus no, thank you. You're wrong. Right. Cause then we're just like offloading it or we're burying it. So you need both of those and then enter co-regulation. And so I was recently interviewing somebody for my podcast. Um, her name's Katie Kurtz. I think she's a phenomenal resource in this in this space of trauma-informed work. And she talked about co-regulation as being well-resourced. And I loved, in fact, I was gonna say it, just you, you mentioned that um, just a few minutes ago. So being well-resourced means having your nervous system in a state that it is calm, you are able to receive, you are able to, you know, to give in a very calm way that is not reactive or and and sort of um yeah, reactive. It's mindful. And so co-regulation is really about how how we are with everybody. And, you know, again, our nervous systems are always talking to each other. We can't see it. So it's it, it's in the it, it's never really been talked about. And I would say if I were to rename my book, I would say your nervous system is a leadership tool. And would you walk by a million dollars sitting on the floor if you knew it could help you be a different leader? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, you wouldn't. So then why why are we not investing in these practices to help us co-regulate, to self-regulate and have the self-awareness? Why? Because it's hard. It's hard to do. We got lots of stuff going on in our lives. And that lightning bolt moment that I had, there was a lot of stuff going on in my life. And I'm like, I have to change. I have to change because I don't want to hurt the people that I love the most.
0: Mm. So beautiful. I mean, it takes a, It's such a courageous act with what I just heard you say, Carolyn, And it's reminding me as well, something that I I learned a lot about, I I reply this a little bit more in my personal relationships, but I actually uh, talk a lot about with this leaders and organizations as well. um, When we start to think about repair and vulnerability, because when I really learned doing repair properly, it's not saying... I'm I'm really really sorry. It wasn't my intention. Oh no 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 no. That's not a sorry because you're already taking away. You're not yeah. taking. It's it, there's nothing about what your intention is. The fact is, yep, that person received it in that way, and it's it's about I'm really sorry that I you know handled that the way I handled it. Um, I wasn't showing up as my best self, and I apologize. And I'm going to work harder to not make that happen again nothing about, and it wasn't really my intent because that's you like giving yeah. an apology and then taking back the apology at the same time.
1: And that's the, and this, so I, I love that you brought this up because as we have more power, more positional power in organizations and, and even any type of privilege and power, right. So wherever we are in that wheel of power and privilege at work, at home, in our community, It's a lot easier for people with more power and privilege to say, well, that wasn't my intention and to essentially unintentionally or intentionally offload and say, that's your problem, not mine. And and it's like, you're going to deal with the discomfort, not me. And this is the shift that is happening in workplaces. And it needs to continue to happen, which is the more power and privilege you have positional or not you have more accountability to close this gap and welcome people into the discussion so it becomes a discussion or an understanding or a sharing so that both experiences can be valued and not one overvalued over another
0: Yes. Yes. Well said. And I think you also gave a great example that felt a bit vulnerable in the book that I wouldn't mind you right now, just quickly sharing the story around something, not being your intent, going into a meeting, feeling like you left the meeting. It's like, wow, I was like superstar. (laughs) That was the best meeting ever. And having a colleague who, again, I want to acknowledge her and her bravery to have a conversation and come back to you and share her experience of the meeting that was not the same. Do you want to quickly share that story? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah. So had a meeting and basically we had a few things we needed to decide. And I'll be honest, going into the meeting, I, again, I was a director. I knew what needed to happen and I created the space to have a dialogue about it. And at the end of the meeting, I'm like, Oh, great. They got to where I wanted them to go. Carolyn's inner dialogue. I didn't, I thought I did it in a way that it felt like we got there naturally, but in my head, it was like, I have to get them there. And somebody came into my office afterwards and said, I was like, and I was feeling all great about myself. And this person said, next time you have your mind made up like that, don't waste our time. And it was, again, it was another one of those moments like, whoa! wait a sec, you knew that? Like, how did you know? Um, And that's the thing, right? Like our nervous systems, again, are always talking, Um, people are going to have different um, perceptions. And, and I'm sure, you know, this person had a different center of intelligence. And I'm, I'm sure that they were able to perceive some of my words and behaviors in a different way. And I've never, ever forgotten that. And I still can remember that moment. And again, as a feeling type, that feeling of like, oh my gosh, I thought I was a superstar and I am anything but, and then I felt really embarrassed actually. It's like, oh boy. Yeah. Didn't do that again. Well, purpose. and it
0: points to the like, cause I think even we forget around, we kind of give a lot of training with leaders around how to give feedback and give constructive feedback. We don't necessarily give enough training around both the individual around like what that's like to be able to receive feedback Mm. and experience what's going on in your body. And even being able to say, thank you so much for the feedback. I'm going to need to take some time to process. And I'd love to talk with you about this a little bit more later, right? Like you get to be able to just even receive it in that example, of course, you were working through it, but there's times where even in that moment, talking about the nervous system, your nervous system might feel flooded. You can't really receive it. And you might say, you know, I really value what you have to say. And I'm just realizing I can't receive it all right now. Maybe we can talk a little bit more later. Like, even recognizing to receive feedback can be incredibly vulnerable, as is very vulnerable for the person giving feedback. If they're in a constructive, caring, compassionate way, it can be really uncomfortable. And I've seen it from both ends. I've seen it from where the leaders really struggle and they're not giving the constructive feedback, sometimes even the positive, which can also feel vulnerable. And then the people who are receiving the feedback, how they can struggle with it because it feels very much like, uh, it can feel like it's they're somehow lesser than. I'm not enough. It can really internalize that there's something wrong with them, as opposed to like, oh no, like this is actually very
1: constructive for your growth and development. Yeah. you know, you said something there um, around receiving feedback, and and I think that that is the true feedback skill how do we receive because at the end of the day you know we can choose whether or not we want to receive feedback and some people were going to value their feedback more than others but at the end of the day i've learned about myself i've never been good at receiving feedback good or or not good in fact it's easier to receive than not good because then that tells me oh here are the other steps that i need to make to be you know quote unquote perfect mm-hmm. um And what I learned and I learned this at the book launch was how to receive praise and recognition because, and, 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 you know, your listeners, you, you might all, all connect with this. When somebody gives you a compliment, what's your response? Thank you. I'm going to receive, you, you said this to me before we started talking, Carolyn, I'll receive that. Or do you, in your head, you're like, oh, no big deal. Or no, it's no big deal. Don't worry. You don't have to say that that's a common place for people to go and yet no one talks about that part so to me how do we receive feedback and in the in the workshops that i do we spend more time talking about that the process situation behavior you know um impact that's easy it's the emotional side of all of this and how can we do it from a place of of like of openness and not of you know, these armored behaviors. So hello, self-awareness, we're back to you again. <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah. And I talk so much about that. I, I would have to say a lot of the leaders that I work with really struggle with receiving when it is the compliment. And I I talk to talk about, it's almost like someone sending love and to be yeah. like- that love feels super uncomfortable and I talk about it like it's a boomerang like that person's trying to give love and yeah. you're not receiving it so it's like the boomerang you're sending it back they're like oh I just wanted to give you the love and you're not
1: taking the love and I spoke about that right in the book like um, uh, that word love bothered me and and especially at work and you know I I referenced a little bit of of Marcus Buckingham's uh work love and work and at the end of the day use love or not, open your heart, whatever. I, I know love feels like a weird word um, at work, um, but let's use the word belonging, right? Yeah. Open. Yeah. And and that there's tons of research around belonging now, you know, Deloitte's reports for the past three years have talked about it. And there was a stat that I brought in too in the book, um, but saying that this notion of belonging and creating places of belonging was um, the most agreed upon sort of, uh, index that CEOs said was going to really change their workplaces. So like we, we have to, if we're going to truly do that, we have to understand ourselves and, and truly understanding ourselves means embodying with our head, our heart, and our body that we aren't perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that in, in that imperfection is where our authenticity lies. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Perfectly imperfect. I talk a lot about that.
0: And I also talk about just being able to be, it's about progress, not perfection, right? Being able to continuously learn and grow about yourself. Yeah. So as we start to think about wrapping up today's conversation, I would love to just leave the listeners because you did a really great job um, sharing some practices that people can do to start to regulate their nervous system, to start to be reflective and get to know themselves a bit better. Um, What are some of those resources that you would recommend?
1: Uh, Breathing. yes, And it's so simple. Um, And I used to think it was a load of woo woo. um. But I would say, and, and especially for those of us, you know, if we have children at a younger age where it's like, I don't have time to sit down and do a 10 minute mindfulness practice or meditation. And 10 minutes, like 10 minutes is a lot, right? Like we know when the kids are younger. um, Can we do some intentional mindful breathing? Yes. In fact, you can do it in the middle of a meeting. And, and so, you know, be that box breathing where you inhale for four, hold for four, exhale for four, hold for four again, um, four, seven, eight breathing. I mean, you can just do Google search breathing, any sort of mindful breath work is the cheapest and it, it's like a reset button um, that can help your nervous system, right? Like if your computer goes wonky, press the like on off, we don't really have a reset button anymore, but turn it on and off. That is the most, you know, the, I'd say the, the best and and cheapest and simplest, um, giving yourself space to like go for a walk or just like to, to give space. So maybe that's a walk. Um, maybe that's doing the dishes. Maybe that's gardening in your backyard. Maybe that's coloring or like drawing man- mandalas. Uh, maybe it's listening to biurnal beats. I didn't, and not podcasts, but like a biurnal beat rhythm um, frequencies when you're going out for a walk, or maybe just sitting. Um, you know, I was in a workshop the other day and somebody said, I just sit in my living room for 5 minutes before the day starts and the kids just know that I'm just kind of gathering and just giving space to allow all the noise to just not be there. Honestly that that's to me the biggest the biggest yeah, practice.
0: Those are huge. The other thing that you brought up in the book that I would um, recommend that a lot of people, um, a lot of my clients do is journaling, but yes. not the version of journaling they might think it is. So some people feel like journaling is I have to have a journal prompt. It's this whole thing I have to write. No, sometimes journaling could just be you're releasing. I even have some people have the stream of consciousness. You just yeah. write out whatever you need to write out and then leave it and then throw it out even because it's another form of processing getting out the gunk that needs to get out or reflective questions is another way that I find um, that you mm. talked about in the book. That's really, really effective as well.
1: Yeah. I'll, I will verbally journal sometimes um, and yeah. just speak into voice notes or one of those recording. Yes. It just, as you said, like to get yeah. it, to get yeah. it out. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah exactly. Carolyn, I know we could talk for hours. Yes, um, thank you so much <laughs> for being here. Where can people
1: learn more about you and your work? CarolynSuara.com. Nice. It'll nice. all be there. I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn and Instagram as well. So you can always reach out and connect there. And those are the two best places.
0: Amazing. And we'll have all of that in the show notes. Um, I appreciate the incredible work that you're doing in the world, Carolyn, and thank you for, um, sharing your wisdom with us today.
1: Thanks for having me on. And, We will continue a conversation. It'll just be on a walk somewhere in the the neighborhood.
0: Exactly. We go for nice long walks um, and talk about everything. And right now to everyone, wherever you are in the world, we're saying good morning, good afternoon, good evening, sending tons of love. Bye-bye. Please remember that meaningful change requires space and grace. Practice self-compassion and become the ripple. As you transform yourself, you transform your workplace and the people around you.